0: All right, welcome to episode five of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller, alongside Pat Williams, as usual. We were thinking about starting today's show talking about a little bit more detail what we discussed last week, and that is Shane Wright's situation and the NHL-CHL player agreement. Turns out we will be doing that, but we'll be doing so with a bit of, you know, informative news. I'm sure by now when you're listening, it'll be out there. Um, And that is what hockey news broke uh, yesterday um, for listeners, which is that the NHL-CHL player agreement has been extended. It was extended this past summer until June of 2029. So the reason we mentioned Shane right there is, as many know, there's sort of a situation where the Kraken, they can't send right to the AHL. It's either the NHL or the CHL. He's currently in the AHL on a conditioning stint, which they're allowed to do for 14 days. But otherwise, it's what I mentioned because – In the NHL-CHL agreement, it requires all draft picks under the age of 20 to return to their CHL club if they don't make the NHL roster. Now, if you're younger than 20, but you've played four full seasons, you can go to the AHL then. It's sort of one of those tricky gray areas. Um, It's been kind of discussed a little bit. It it kind of picked up, I think, last year during the COVID year, um, where you had Seth Jarvis dominating the, the AHL. Point per game player had to go back down to the WHL because of the rule, um, but yeah, we we were originally going to discuss kind of, and we still will get to possible solutions and how you can really fix this. Now it's all kind of hypothetical because the hammer's been laid down this past summer, and that is um, how it's going to remain going forward. But uh, yeah, Pat, I mean, what's your as someone that covers the league as a whole, and I know you're you know passionate or very interested in this little topic as it is. What was your reaction to finding out that? you know in fact there there is no solution on the horizon this is how it's going to be at least until uh 2029
1: well yeah two reactions one is um i'm surprised how far out it goes mm. um that's 7 years uh from now so um you're you're not going to see that i mean this this topic really like you said back in the 2021 pandemic season this topic Really started to percolate. Um, when mm-hmm. Seth Jarvis is a great example. Uh, Jean-Luc Foody, who we'll discuss later with the Colorado yes. Avalanche. Real good example of that because he wasn't necessarily that that uh, top first round can't miss type prospect. He's 20 years old. He's already gotten uh, – he's in his third full like, – two and a half, depending on how you define that pandemic season, full season. so. Right um, way ahead of the curve for where he'd be. Otherwise, uh, typically this he'd be a month into his first pro season. Now he's, he's got some real great experience. and I think he's, he's that much better for it. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's my first reaction is is how far out this goes. The second one is just, I thought that this was going to be something where there'd be a lot more of a pushback or at least some sort of modification, but, um, status quo definitely surprises me because we've we've done is what the theme of this show is just how much now NHL uh, clubs invest in player development, how much, um, in terms of coaching staff, in terms of time, in terms of, uh, really shuffling around the entire American hockey league uh, a few years back uh, so that the players would be as close to home as possible. Right. Um, and obviously that, that, that required investments of millions upon millions of dollars, um, Now, two-thirds of the the HL teams are are owned by NHL clubs in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to see this kind of remain status quo, remain the way it's been, you know, for decades, a little surprised for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting is, you know, the way I was going to originally talk about this was sort of a – meeting in the middle of what these two sides want. So the CHL, from, from my understanding, I'm talking to people throughout the day, uh, a couple OHL um, front office members, uh, one of which is a, an executive. Essentially, the CHL NHL player agreement is designed there for, to protect the sort of, co- the the to ensure that the CHL continues being what it is, which is a top tier development league. Now, obviously money is a big part of it. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. And something I learned today, I don't know if you knew this, but apparently it's not a lot of money, but you know, whenever there's somebody drafted out of the, um, anywhere in the NHL, there's some money given to them. I didn't know that. So what I had really talked about originally was with Shane, Wright. There's gotta be some sort of system where you cap it at either as one person suggested to me, top five, top eight pick they're, they're eligible to be in the AHL, right? For the player's development sake. Then the question becomes money, right? How does the CHL team get compensated for losing out on a Shane, Wright, Someone that brings people to seats um, and, and is a huge allure for their ticket sales. And what I originally thought was some sort of 300,000 to $500,000 sort of um, fee that the team would get for that player going to the AHL. Now, mind you, so when Mitch Marner, for example, played in the NHL as a drafted plus one or plus two player that he's still CHL eligible, London Knights would have gotten money for that. That's how it works. Now, the middle ground is the AHL. So what I would have proposed was something where there's some sort of transfer fee of whatever, $500,000 um, in the case of a top 10, maybe top 15 pick. I think that would be a good start. But someone actually in the NHL front office suggested this to me, and I thought it was really interesting. Was the idea where you you do one spot per team where you could do this, where you could have, you know, void the, the agreement of the uh, traditional NHL CHL rules, have that prospect on your team if you pay the sum of their ELC to the, um, the CHL team? So then it becomes what, close to a million dollars or whatever it may be. And that's pretty enticing. You can't say no, but also. It's not like every team's going to be doing that. Some will obviously abuse it, but it's an interesting sort of middle ground there. Um, the, the one more note I want to note was the CHL's point of view. I definitely think that there, there's a middle ground here and kind of what I just alluded to, but if you remove, say 10 stars from the CHL, analytically, their NHL equivalency probably goes down to like 0.30. So the league gets diluted. Um, you know, obviously that is to be expected, I think for CHL teams, their real worry is that they're going to lose. Like those stars are everything for them, for the market, for everything. And there's a huge worry there. With it being extended now, though, you know, it'll be interesting to see, as we've alluded to, if we see more and more, maybe CHL guys drop a little bit in the later teens of of the first round because of, as you said, the advantage of being able to have a European guy and put him in there a lot earlier. So it's definitely an interesting situation. And um, yeah, you know, I was surprised as well when I when I you know learned from some people that that was the case, and, and I know you were as well. It, it's definitely, I'm sure it's frustrating for some GMs, right? That that uh, are watching the, the the right situation and thinking, gosh, you know, I wish we could get around this if we ever had to deal with it.
1: The, yeah, the European issue. I mean, I think it makes uh, it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting wrinkle now to see coming drafts now. And I think that the, the biggest change was, is that, 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 that pandemic season really proved, I think to a lot of, um, NHL clubs and and general managers, it was a test drive, uh, because I can tell you before that, there was a a real sense that, um, 18 year olds aren't ready for the age. they're not ready for the HL on or off the ice. That was a perception, right? Right. Um, the grand Rapids Griffins with, uh, Philip Zadina kind of dipped their toe in the water. That was back in 2018. More Sider team uh, as an 18-year-old a year later. He was a little bit of a different case because he had already played pro in Germany. Um, But um, those guys handle it. Uh, I think today's player is far more prepared, um, both hockey-wise, but I think even more so off the ice. Um, You know, I remember when I started in this business, players were, there was a lot more of uh, less maturity, I would say. Now, these players, I mean, they come in at 18 and they're, they're all business. They're very well prepared. Um, they understand the business. Um, and so you don't have that off-ice uh, learning curve the same way that you did. Um, so I think that was a big turning point for a lot of NHL GMs and really opening their eyes of like, all right, we can put this player – into a pro world at 18, even if it's not the NHL. It's also a comfort level too, because there's so much more control now uh, by NHL clubs over their AHL operation. Um, Especially it's one thing to have uh, a player three time zones away. Like if you were the LA Kings for a long time, now your LA Kings prospects are practicing in the same building. So there's just a much more of a comfort level that uh, was not there before.
0: The one Counter, I would say, though, is two things. One, I think the COVID year,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. we always refer to as a half year. So the talent was diluted. Yes. Right. You had so that's the one counter I would say is you had five guys or whatever it was on the taxi squad. So the the competition automatically, um, the level of it was lower. Number two, I think there's something to be said. And and I want to be very clear here. I think that Shane Wright situation there has to be some sort of compromise in the middle ground. And Whether that is, as I alluded to, a top 10 protected sort of loophole, right, where you're able to send that guy there um, or something of that nature, some sort of transfer fee. But I think for the majority, the fear would be that if you start throwing 18-year-old, 19-year-old guys there too loosely that aren't actually too good for the OHL – is it best for their development? And, and I don't think there's something wrong with, you know, if you're playing bottom – is it either bottom six NHL or uh, learning, you know, in the same – the same breath in the AHL versus dominating junior. I don't think there's anything wrong with dominating junior in a lot of cases. And I think the worry would be you bring these 18-year-olds up to the AHL where they're going from juniors to you're playing against people that are feeding their families – there are guys that will, to keep a job, lay you out. Even mm-hmm. like there, there's, there's, you know, there's a big step there from, from boys to men in terms of, of that jump. So that would be, you know, my concern of making it too loosey goosey. But as you said, and as we said, I think we can kind of agree we've gone around it, but the most ideal thing would have been an exception where you have, whether it's what one person suggested, where it's you just pay a crazy amount of money Or where you, it's top 10 protected and it's only certain situations. But yeah, Shane writes here. This is just, it's getting kind of silly at this point. And I think in terms of the player's development, um, I don't know if he's too good for the OHL. I think what the problem is, is Seattle's really prolonged this and whatever's happened behind the scenes has made it this sort of thing where maybe, like, he didn't dominate in Kingston last year as much as he should have. Otherwise, he would have probably got number one in my opinion. So yeah, you know, long story short, I, I think a lot of this falls on Seattle too, for creating the situation, but you know, it's tough. Cause I'm sure, right. When the 14 days he will have with Balsama and all Coachella Valley, he's probably going to get the most momentum he'll have this year. So if it's for the, for the world juniors.
1: Uh, And, you know, kind of a counterpoint to the counterpoint I'll, I'll say is just that. Absolutely. NHL clubs have every incentive to make sure that players aren't in over their head um, oh you're right if and I, and I we've seen that you know the there are there have been situations uh, Philip Machar, for example and Laval started there um, Montreal sent him down right away down to Kitchener they were like yeah this isn't he's not ready and you know the, the amount of obviously the, the state that they have in a first rounder especially um, is 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 high. So I think if, if a player is truly not ready, um, I don't think they're going to keep him there a minute longer than they have to. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's the counterpoint um, as far as Shane, right. I mean, you just look at him, right. I watched his first game with Coachella Valley the other night uh, against Calgary. And obviously you see the skill. I mean, he's a, you know, it's, it's, it's clear, but you can also see that there are things that he's there to work on. Um, and, we, we know he has, you know, goal, goal scoring ability and he uh, really pretty goal. And I saw people saying, well, like, you know, he's, there's nothing for him to learn in the HL either. Uh, and it's, you know, <laughs> I had to really restrain myself to not say that I'm like, you know, it's not about, you know, who can put together the, you know, the shiniest highlight packages, all the little details, you know, maybe they're boring details to, to the average you know fan or whatever, but, um, play away from the pot, transition, play, reload, every, you know, all that kind of stuff that um, coaches will hammer over and over and over again, but that's what you're there for, right? Like that's, that's the, the side of the game that he's never had to completely develop. He's always been the most dominant player, you know, up until this point. And like you said, now you're playing against men. Now you're playing against guys feeding their families. It's a whole nother element now that he's never had to face. And so, that's where you want You want to put him into that little bit of an uncomfortable situation and see how he handles it and without the pressure trying to do so at the NHL level. Because like, you know, we've said, you know, um, to each other off the air, even NHL's win now, right? Like <laughs> there's no, there's no time
0: to learn. There's, no, the coddling. Level, right? there, there's right? no coddling. There's it, no coddling NHL. It's the silliest thing. And like, I'm guilty of it as well. But the idea that like, even if you're like Arizona and you're going to just bring the kids up and like give them a chance, like, you understand from like head coach to trainer to video guy, everybody's job is on the line with this day in day out. As as someone explained to me in the NHL assistant coach, he says he couldn't be in the NHL because he laughs too much. And I thought he like oh, he's being sarcastic, but no, it, it's all business. Yeah. So yeah. no, you're not just spoon feeding people's jobs. Uh, that that's not happening. Um, and further to that, I think you know with with Shane Wright. Maybe we're all looking at this wrong. Maybe it's not the NHL CHL player agreements the problem. Maybe Seattle, maybe they've botched this because the agreement's not changing mid-year, regardless. They should have made a decision when it was supposed something must have happened here because the comments of Ron Francis saying about how we want to get him up, we want to get him up to 12 minutes or whatever. And then you know Hacksaw barely plays him after that. I don't know. But it's it just it's a mess I think they've created. Um, but we're going to move on here. And before we do that, I'm a little offended because Pat, I see from your background, you're in Toronto and you didn't tell me. So well, like, what's going on with that man? You're just at the Coca-Cola. In Toronto. I'm not
1: oh, in Toronto. you're in
0: Hershey. Okay. I thought you maybe were at Coca-Cola Coliseum. I mean, I yeah, it. I'm
1: just switching up the background a little bit, getting uh, a little variety. I might, uh, might change it up next week as well.
0: All right. Well, maybe we'll get you in a different arena as well. So let's get to our uh, prospect of the week. And that is Joel, Hofer of the, mm. did I say that right? Yes. I did. Oh, I'm so bad with, with that stuff. Thankfully, I got this time. Joel Hofer of the Springfield Thunderbirds, St. Louis Blues prospect, 22 year olds rocking a 920 save percentage through his first 12 games this year. And he's playing on a Springfield team that surrenders the third most shots against per game. You know, he's not a freak athlete, but he's got confidence and he has that six, five stature that makes up for that lack of sort of uh, freak, you know, freakish ability or mobility per se. He's been really on since the second half of last year. Had a great playoff run with Springfield. Bennington, you know, he's got four years after this year, but he's already 29 and he's regressed quite a bit. Thomas Greister, backup. He's a, a pending UFA after this year. Would seem that hope th- th- there's a spot for him there in the in the timing. But just, you know, Pat, before we get to that, what do you think about his progression and where his game's at right now?
1: Two things. Um, I love the fact that St. Louis last year paired him with Charlie Lindgren. Um, Mm -hmm. For anyone that doesn't know Charlie Lindgren, uh, you couldn't find a better goalie partner out there than Charlie Lindgren. Um, Smart. uh, Very, you know, watch that line. The goalies have to walk in that competition, right? Like he's going to push you as a competitor. He's going to force you to be at the best, but he's also going to be your biggest cheerleader. And I love that for a young goalie uh, coming in at 20 years old. And then obviously the second thing was, um, you know, Springfield had that great playoff run. Uh, Lindgren was actually up uh, for about uh, two to three weeks of that run. So that was Hofer's net that whole time. Right. And then um, he was able to really get on a, a good rhythm there um, going through that, that playoff experience. Then when Lindgren came back and he, he, started getting to that third and fourth round. Actually, it was the fourth and fifth round, uh, depending on how you, you know, with the HL playoffs. But in any event, you know, conference final and final and, you know, you're up against, you know, some of the best competition there is. Um, then they were able to go a little bit more of a, you know, a, a tandem. Uh, so it was a, it was a little bit of best of both worlds. But, uh, you know, the Hofer I saw, you know, come May, June of last season versus what I saw at the start of the year was night and day. And uh, you could just see that that development really took off and it all started to fall into place for him. It started to make sense for him. And so uh, fourth round pick, I I just love uh, what St. Louis has there with him.
0: It's crazy too, because he, you know, last year throughout the year, even when he was, you know, on the upward trajectory of, of what was an up and down year, he wasn't sort of lights out. And then it seemed like the playoffs, he just changed a different gear last year.
1: Yeah, real steady, like they didn't, you know, like you said, in the playoffs, you know, he wasn't, um, he wasn't necessarily dominant, but he was just reliable. Right. And, you know, we sit on the, the NHL, right. Like it's, it's far better to be consistent and reliable than to be dominant one night and then, you know, yeah. struggle the next night. Coaches love that, you know, dependability and, um, you know, he's playing for Drew Bannister. So Drew Bannister worked uh, in the OHL with Sue. Sue Greyhounds for a while. So, a uh, real good, highly respected uh, teacher. You know, just in terms of player management, and, and just the um, St. Louis Blues have a really good operation there. Tim Taylor runs a lot of it, uh, you know. So, um, from the front office side, and um, they've really turned that that whole operation around, I think, from a player development standpoint. They had struggled for a while, uh, but the last number of years.
0: Was that because uh, the affiliations, Pat? Like, was there a struggle kind of with that? Yeah, he ran into a real
1: tough uh, situation when they uh, they had actually sold their Peoria franchise. They went to Chicago uh, for right. four years, which uh, that that worked. And then uh, then they got into a situation where they didn't have affiliation for a year, and that was the Bennington right. year. That was when Binghamton went to Providence
0: when he refused he had, to be sent down. Yeah,
1: so you had five you had five different teams handling your players. That's far from ideal. They went to San Antonio, thought they had a great setup there. Uh, San Antonio got sold, went to Henderson. So they were able to get finally into Springfield last year. Uh, the pandemic year, they had split with Utica. They split Utica with Vancouver. So a lot of kind of this upheaval for a number of years. Finally, it settled down last year, and you could really start to see um, some of those fruits uh, start to bear out. And uh, you know, they had a great run. Um, high pressure. I love that for a young goalie uh, to face that. Um, and here he is now. It's his net now. Lingens in Washington, and you're seeing that that real that real next step that he's taking. Uh, with the, it's a solid Springfield team, but it's certainly not the same Springfield team that it was last season. For
0: sure. Let's move on to our team of the week, and we're going to feature the Colorado Avalanche prospects. And now, it's really interesting for Colorado. Obviously, rating Stanley Cup champions, they're you know they're doing okay, um, but they're 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 definitely tied up against the cap, and they're going to be especially with Nate Max you know, impending deal kicks in. So ELC contributions are truly uh, a necessity for them right now. They have a couple intriguing options. The first one we, we would have to start out with is Oscar Olison. He actually made his NHL debut last night. Uh, they, they put him in the, the top six first round pick in 2021, super skilled player. He's kind of struggled with sort of keeping it all together. Consistency um, sort of a perimeter player sometimes. Uh, but, but, you know, It'd be interesting to know, Pat, what you think what led to maybe him getting that call up and, and what he showed throughout this year where he has eight points in 16 games.
1: Colorado is, you know, sort of a similar situation to St. Louis was for, for, for the longest time Colorado's development um, picture was really tough. They just could not do it on any sort of reliable basis. When they moved the team uh, closer to home in 2018 with the Colorado Eagles, Greg Cronin came in. Uh, long-time NHL assistant, long-time college coach, um, extremely demanding, extremely, like, he will pick apart your game. Uh, you, you may think you you have your game down. He will find the smallest detail and really harp on it. And, and I think that, that's great for young players, right? Like, every player that comes into this league has obviously had a lot of success, but it's again, like we said with Shane Wright, it's all those little details that, uh, you know, players don't necessarily want to think about, but are going to be what not only gets a player to the NHL, but keeps them there. And so, um, with an Olsen, I think one of, I mean, one of the first things, you know, Cronin will always talk about is being a perimeter player that won't fly with him at all. So, um, I have no doubt that, uh, (laughs) Olsen's heard a lot uh, about that from Cronin. Um, uh, probably you know hears it in his sleep at this point, but um, that's what's going to get him to the Avalanche, and keep him there, right? And so uh, really good development picture that they have there with the Abs now. Um, and I think Olsen's a great example of that.
0: Another guy that was in consideration for the call-up, and the reason I know this is because Jared Bednar said it himself, which is, you know, it's pretty high praise. Call-up mm-hmm. would be great, but to get that recognition out there is great. And that is Jean-Luc Foodie. 20-year-old center has 12 points in 16 games this season. He's been a real dominant force at even strength. Really getting that poise in his game and that confidence that maybe would have lacked in the first you know couple of years, as you mentioned before earlier in the podcast. He came in at as was he 18, Pat or 19? Like yeah, as a during the COVID year. Last year he really got his his, his feet went in his first full season. And now, as I said, with you know 12 points in 16 games, really starting to be an offensive contributor for the Eagles. How, what, what can we uh, tell Avalanche fans about this prospect?
1: Well, start with Foodie uh, in that COVID season. I love the fact that he went to Sweden for that first half or so while there was no hockey in North America. Played in the third division there. Um, so um, it was a place to play, right? You know, rather than sit at home training, and that's that's all fine and well, but like at that age, you need games too, right? And so he went up there and got it. So he hit the ground running. Um you remember, if you if you think back to that time, players had a lot of players had gone almost a full year calendar year without playing a, a competitive game when that twenty twenty one AHL season started. So he was already ahead of the curve, got his feet wet, uh, played that half season there. Um, then was able because of an exemption last year to stay at the AHL level rather than go to the OHL. So by the time he's twenty years old, he already has two and a half seasons or he's in his second, or I should say he's in his, he's got a season and a half. Now, you know, he's in his third season, depending on how you define the seasons, but either way, like he's well ahead of, um, of his peers in that group, you know, there's a third round pick um, just a great opportunity for him. So he's been able to work really closely on a day-to-day basis now with Avalanche development coaches, with Cronin, with the whole staff at the Eagles, um, you know, going on two years now, so uh, it doesn't surprise me that he's um, he's now kind of in the running for some some call ups, and uh, I won't be surprised one bit to see him, uh, you know, get a good look, uh, especially as the season goes in the second half.
0: Someone that I think a lot of people would have maybe expected the first guy up would be Ben Myers, mm-hmm. um, signed out of, of University of Minnesota um, as a as an undrafted free agent, couldn't compete with the team in the play. Why was that actually? Another thing about it. why? Why? What's the rule again? With uh, like, why couldn't he compete in the playoffs because he signed after the trade deadline? Would that be why?
1: Yeah, I believe that that was. Yeah, it was. Okay, after the deadline. that makes yeah. sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Ben Myers signs with the uh, the Avalanche uh, after the trade deadline last year. Could not play, but he played uh, in the playoffs where they won the cup. Which god, that's a tough pill to swallow. But he, he had a couple games with him last year. He's played a couple games with Colorado this year, and then he's been in the AHL as well. Um, I believe injuries have kind of sidelined him a bit, if I'm not mistaken. But he he's been, hasn't been able to get a lot of runway, but I think he's definitely an interesting player in terms of their future depth.
1: Yeah, everyone you talk to, right, like the first um, word is just he's versatile, and he plays a really complete game. And he's got that maturity in his game that it comes with, Um, Being a little bit older, playing uh, three years at the University of Minnesota. So obviously an elite, elite program. Um, And it really, I think, speaks to the idea of, I think, why why the college path is becoming so attractive for a lot of players. I was talking to someone the other day and just, you know, I don't ever recall this many high-end college players at the AHL level as there are now. And it made a lot of sense just in the sense that, you know, players – some of are late bloomers, right? Like what you are at 18 or 19 versus what you're at 23, 24 is night and day for some players. And I think he was a great example of that he needed that extra time that uh, that time. Um, I know he put on a lot of muscle uh, while he was in college. Um, and that's, that's one of the big advantages of that, 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 that path is, you know, it's a lighter schedule. There's more time for training, more time for practice. Um, and so I think he really benefited from that. So, um, he's, he's definitely a kind of a, he's going to be a coach's, um, dream in the sense that he's very reliable. And, you know, as we said, that's really the best thing you can be as an AHL type call up is to, to be somebody that the Jared Bednar or, you know, whoever is, is the NHL coaches, um, does somebody that you, you can have that trust level. I think you know, players that can do that, they find their way out of the AHL a lot faster than than players who maybe have, you know, a little more flashy skill or, or something a little bit more um, excitement in their game. Just reliability is key for an AHL call up.
0: The last guy I want to talk about is Alex Bukage. Um, definitely someone where I may not be the best person on this. I've only seen about eight of his games um, in recent times, but I think that a lot of, I can understand why he was sort of looking at as maybe a tweener, um, slow boots, and, and maybe not the most NHL upside on, on the surface, but He's been a great player defensively and just driving play with Colorado this year. We were remiss not to mention him. Third round pick of the Avalanche in 2019. He's got seven points in 16 games this year. The majority of those have been an even strength. Is is he a guy that could be in the running or is he sort of, uh, you know, caught between a busy cast of guys that we just mentioned?
1: It is a busy cast. Uh, he's he's a little bit more of a raw um, Yeah type player, you know, you can definitely see there's um, there's something to work with there, but um, you know, great shot. uh, That's kind of the first thing that that I notice. I think anyone would notice. Um, So that's right off the bat. And then the, you know, but skating, skating is obviously really, I think for a lot of players, it's the thing that separates them from the NHL to the AHL. Um, You know, the, the AHL is in some ways, it's a, it's a skating school almost now, as much as a hockey school in that sense that uh, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many players now that um, that's what their, their main focus is. Um, that's what's going to either kind of be the difference between whether or not they make it long-term, but uh, so yeah, skating, but you know, players, uh, that's what they're there for. And, you know, and as far as just, so that's, that's one aspect. And the second part is that trust level, right. And Greg Cronin has that trust level. And that's a tough. That's a tough trust to earn, right? That he is not an easy coach to impress, um, not an easy coach to win that trust. But for a young player to do that, I think that's that speaks well to what he does have. And you know, if if you can get that skating, uh, you know, you're never gonna be you know, dynamic skater. But if you can at least get it up, you know, to a certain standard, I think uh, then that really does open up some possibilities for him uh, with the ABS down the road.
0: The stride is probably his biggest thing, like his skating stride, right? Technically speaking, so yeah, yeah you're so, right. I, I like what you mentioned about doesn't need to be just a dynamic skater, but the fundamentals are probably his biggest obstacle.
1: And the abs, the abs invest a lot into that, uh, yeah. that area of skating, coaches and development. So, um, you know, I like his chances, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like I, that's one thing I've learned, right? You know, don't write players off too early. You know? No, they'll surprise you. They'll make you look silly, and you know. I think he, I think he has a good shot just, but you know, the next couple of years obviously are going to be crucial. Um, But uh, I think that players now, there's just so much more of an awareness now, a willingness to work on things too, right? There used to be more of a mentality. Well, I'm just going to work on the things I'm good at. Right. (laughs) That's great. But (laughs) the things that you're not good at are what, what are going to separate you. So uh, I think players now really do have a better, uh, they're much more dialed into what they need to do and, communication is better two ways between the NHL teams and the players. And so um, I think that really does facilitate a lot more efficient development.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for this week. And, you know, thanks again for joining us. Happy we went over, you know, the Shane Wright and CHL player agreement whole thing. We didn't have a guest this week, but we, we definitely had a, a quite a topic to compensate for that. Thank you so much for listening and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. We'll probably have a guest as well. And again, as I've always mentioned, and some of you have had some great suggestions, If you have a suggestion for a guest, player, coach, whatever it may be, tweet at Pat, myself or the Hockey News. We'll be sure to try our very best to accommodate that. Thank you, guys.